Well, good morning, Cedar Creek Church. How are you this morning? It is great to be with you. My name is Wes, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Creek. And uh, good morning to those of you here at our Banks Mill campus. Good morning to those of you uh, at the Ridge or at the West campus. And good morning to those of you who are just watching online this morning, either through the website, through the app, through Facebook Live, YouTube Live, however you are connected with Cedar Creek Church this morning. We're glad that you are here. Uh, I got some good news for you today. Um, Next week, our senior pastor, Philip Lee, will be back here speaking, teaching, communicating, preaching to us. And uh, he's been in the office this week uh, doing a little bit of work. For those of you at the Banks Mill campus, he's actually here today. So I have to be on my best behavior or at least try to be. Uh, But he is uh, healed up post-surgery. He's had some time away. And so uh, he was in the office this week getting some things done. And we are super excited uh, for him to be back and to be uh, actually kicking off a new series next week for us. Uh, we have been in a series for the last several weeks called Parables. I'm going to talk to you more about that in a minute, uh, but I want you to, to really make an effort over the next several weeks to be here as we kick off this series that we're calling Habitudes. Now, you may be saying to yourselves, what does that mean? Well, we're actually going to be talking about some spiritual disciplines, and we're going to be looking at the heart behind the habit. Is that, did I get that right? Thank you. All right, so uh, Habitudes is kind of the attitude behind the habit, and so uh, Pastor Philip creatively put those two words together, and uh, so we're going to be kicking that off uh, next week. But today, I get an opportunity uh, to wrap up this parable series that we have been in for the past five weeks. If you're new to church, if you're new to Cedar Creek, or if you're just new to faith or to the Bible, you may not know what a parable is. And so let me just take a minute and and share with you kind of the simplest definition that I have uh, found about what a parable is. A parable is this, it's a made up story, okay? So it it didn't actually happen, but it's a made up story that is told uh, and it has a fundamental or powerful truth to it. And so the purpose of telling the parable or telling this story is that when this truth comes out, it compels the listener or it compels the reader to have to do something. It moves us to action. When we hear the truth of the parable, all of a sudden we're left with a decision. What are we going to do about what we've just heard? So for for the past several weeks, we've been looking at uh, different parables that Jesus used to teach. In fact, Jesus used parables all the time when he was teaching the crowds and teaching his disciples. And I just have to say, if you missed any of the the previous messages in this series, um, I was going to try to do kind of a a short recap of all of them this morning, but I just, I didn't feel like I had time and I couldn't do them justice. There was really some great, great teaching over the last few weeks. So you can go back to the website through the Cedar Creek Church app, look online, the Vimeo page, there's all kinds of places where we have resources stored we'd love for you. Uh, If you missed any of those, go back, watch them, check them out. There really, really was some incredible, powerful teaching that came out. And we didn't know, if I could be completely transparent this morning, we didn't know how challenging these parables were going to be. Uh, you know, when you think about parables, some of them really feel kind of good, right? You know, the, you hear the parable of the Good Samaritan and we walk away going, hey, you know what? That makes me feel good. I can go be a, a Good Samaritan. But if I'm really being honest this morning, as we got into this message series, uh, these things were really a kick in the face. <laughs> they were, a, we've been calling them a, a spiritual face punch. They have really been challenging over the last several weeks. And I don't think we realized when we were planning uh, this series, just how powerful it was going to be. I think if we had, we probably would have put out a disclaimer or maybe sent out an email message ahead of time that just said, hey, uh, you might want to wear some steel toe shoes or boots when you come to church over the next several weeks, right? Or, or bring your helmet or guys, bring a cup. It's going to get serious up in here. You know what I mean? I mean, it has been really, sorry, sorry, boss. Uh, it has really been challenging, at least for me. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, these messages were for me and God's been uh, doing something in my life over the last several weeks, but really, really challenging and powerful. And so I'll just tell you, 
as we get started this morning, today is going to be no different. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to keep with that theme and um, we're going we're gonna to talk about a, a hard, hard truth this morning. The parable, the parable that we're going to be looking at today is called the parable of the vineyard workers. And, and it's found in Matthew's gospel in the 20th chapter, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. And this parable has a, it has a very clear point and a message to it. And I, I think it speaks to the heart of a problem that all of us suffer with. It is a, a universal problem, and that problem is the F word. Now, before you break out into a cold sweat or go running out of here, just don't, don't leave yet, right? It may not be the F word that you're thinking of. Although I will share a story this morning about that F word. That's not the word that we're gonna be focused on. So just, just bear with me. This is how it goes. Um, years ago, a uh, long time ago, feels like now, 100 years ago, the Holbrooks, my wife and I, were in home group with the Watsons, Steve and Terry Watson. They're here at the Banks Mill campus. Terry is our Kids Creek director uh, here at the, at the Banks Mill campus. And uh, they were our first, our second home group leaders. We apprenticed under them. And uh, one night we were at home group. And Terry was working on her master's in education. And she had come to home group that night and she said, uh, we were working on a project in our class and we got to watch uh, a movie called Training Day with Denzel Washington, and I think it's Ethan Hawke. I think he's the other one in it. I always get that, him confused with another guy. But um, she said in this movie, they were discussing, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a really powerful. It's a movie, a story about a couple of um, police officers, I think in California, Los Angeles, uh, and it's really rough. A lot of um, powerful, dramatic story, uh, a lot of drug use and bad words and stuff that would, you know, have got your behind tore up if you grew up in my house. Uh, but, but Terry said, in this conversation, um, we were talking about the language that the police officers used. And she said, now, I don't know if that's true of all uh, police officers. And I don't know if, I've never um, gone for my master's in education, but I don't know if Denzel Washington is a part of every curriculum, uh, but I love him and I lo I'm just a huge fan of his movies. But in this movie in particular, um, there is a lot of use of that particular F word. And so Terry says, do you talk like that, Wes? And I was still with the FBI at that time. And, uh, you know, I was trying to be honest and transparent. And I said, you know, Terry, I I'm, I'm sure there's probably times when I do. I mean, I, you know, with the SWAT team and stressful situations, there are things that we do and hanging out with the guys. Sometimes I'm sure language comes out of me that I'm not too proud of. And I, I probably, probably use that word every now and then. And from that night, <laughs> uh, every time after that, that I did say that word, it was like the Holy Spirit would click a counter in my head. There's another one. There's another one, there's another one. And I was completely convicted about my language, about the things that I was saying. And see, I had small kids at the time. And, and I, didn't want to, I didn't want to say that type of word in front of my kids because I didn't want them parroting that, right? Because they're like sponges. Those of you that have young kids, you can connect with this. You understand what I'm saying. Kids will, they just repeat back everything you say. And so I was scared to death that I was gonna say something and my kids were gonna pick up on it. A couple of years later, <laughs> we had some friends over. Uh, for those of you that know the Griffiths, David and Angela Griffith, they've been a, a part of our lives for many, many years. And I, I coached their sons in Little League and travel ball and stuff. And uh, we were hanging out. We were having a really good time. And right before they were about to go home, uh, my youngest child, Hannah, my daughter, was probably about six at the time. And she says, uh, hey, Welby said the F word. And Welby was the oldest of the Griffith boys. He was probably 12 at this time. And it might not have been unusual for him to say that type of word. And don't worry, I've already got permission from him and from his mom to share this story. Um, 
But uh, yeah, that was not well received. And so um, Welby got taken home and um, instructed, let's say, with the old Board of Education, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, he got his behind tore up. His mom uh, tore him up. And, and somehow later that night, we were having a conversation with Hannah and we just weren't really clear that she understood. I, 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 first of all, I thought, how does she even know what the F word is, you know? And I said, what, what word did he say? And she said, oh, daddy, I can't say it. And I said, just one time, just this one time, what did he say? She said, he said the word fair. <laughs> Horror and relief, right? All at the same time. Because at the Holbrook house, you were not allowed to say the word fair. Because life is not fair, amen? In fact, my kids would say this all the time, right? And they would get into conversations and stuff. And that's not fair. And I would say, fair? You know what fair is? Fair comes around once a year in October with rides and cotton candy and rainbow snow cones and uh, elephant ears or whatever those say, funnel cakes, right? That's what fair is. Life is not fair. And because of that, in my daughter's mind, that became the F word. (laughs) So... I had to call Angela, needless to say. And I said, um, hey, I need to beg some forgiveness here on behalf of my daughter and for poor Welby who had been falsely accused and unjustly corrected and disciplined, punished. Angela said, it's okay. He's probably gotten away with a dozen things that he didn't get a spanking for. And I love that. And she's probably right. As we all know, when you've had kids, they get away with a lot more than they get punished for. So today... Uh, what we're gonna be talking about is this word fair. And we're gonna be looking at the issue of fairness. What what does Jesus have to say about this? So let's just jump in. If you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to Matthew chapter 20. If you use the Bible app uh, like I like to do, you can click there. Uh, There should be an outline there. And and if you came in this morning, you don't have a Bible, you should have gotten a program uh, at one of our physical locations that has um, the notes on there. If you're watching online, there should be a link in the chat where you can click on that. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 20. It starts like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Push pause right there. So so Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven. He's comparing the, the reign of God to a landowner who is hiring workers, okay? Clear enough. So God is like a man who owns land and he is hiring workers. And he hires some early in the morning. And he, agree, he agrees to pay them a denarius. And, and this is important for the context of this parable. A denarius in this day was, was one coin. It was a silver coin. And it actually was the, a daily wage that was paid to a soldier. So it was a pretty significant amount of money. A day laborer, uh, somebody that was just kind of showing up in the marketplace looking to be hired uh, was not usually paid this much, okay? So already this landowner is, is agreeing to pay more to this daily worker than they would otherwise expect to be paid, paying them uh, a daily wage. And, and in this culture, you know, you couldn't really negotiate pay, right? You just showed up and it's, it's kind of like uh, when I lived in Atlanta, you could roll up to Home Depot or Lowe's on any particular morning. There were a group of guys standing outside. They were just looking for work, just looking for somebody to say, hey, I've got a project going on. I need three guys, four guys. That's kind of what was going on here. And so this guy says, hey, I need you and I'll pay you a denarius. And they would have been like, man, let's go. Pick it up in verse three. At nine o'clock in the morning, 
He was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever is right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. All right, so here's the picture. All throughout the day, at different times, this same guy is finding different people who are needing work and he's sending them out to work. Verse six. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. So just to give you a clear picture of what's going on here, the Jewish day is from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m., okay? And night is from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. And so this landowner goes out, and early in the morning, in the first part of the day, he hires some people to come and to work in his vineyard. And then he goes back. He, he has agreed to pay a denarius, a full day's wage. And he goes back which, in the uh, third hour, which would have been about nine o'clock, okay? Some at the sixth hour, which would have been about noon. If you're keeping up with the math, I'm a product of the Georgia public school system, so forgive me. Um, some at the ninth hour, which would have been about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then some at the 11th hour, which would have been at 5 p.m., right? One hour before the end of the day. Verse eight, that evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So the, the foreman pays these day laborers, starting with the ones who were hired last, and the ones who worked one hour were paid a denarius. They were paid this daily wage, the full amount. So naturally, these guys that have been out there all day working 12 hours, they think, well, hey, if he got one denarius, I'm gonna definitely get more than that because I've been here all day, but, but they don't. They get what they get, and you don't pitch a fit, as my wife says. But they pitch a fit, and they grumble against the landowner. And, and so the landowner answers them, and he says, look, I've got the right to be generous, right? And, and you shouldn't, shouldn't be envious of this because I'm generous to others. This is my money. This is my vineyard. You wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. And he ends with reiterating the same thing uh, that we see at the end of the chapter before, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes, which is this. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The point is this. The point of this parable is this. God is like the owner of a vineyard, and those who have been saved, those who uh, have come to faith in Jesus, we are the workers. And some become workers, believers, early in life. Some come later in life. And some 
even in the proverbial 11th hour, maybe on their deathbed or maybe at a, at a late time in their life. But they get the grace of God and they are saved. Each one of them, whether early in life or later in life, receives this gift of eternal life. So if you have to sum up the main point, if I could sum it up this morning, the point of this parable is this. It doesn't matter when in life that you're saved, each one receives eternal life. Now, there's something else that I see going on here. There's something that's a little bit deeper that I think many of us, if we're being completely honest today, uh, struggle with. And it, and it keeps us from being happy, uh, content, maybe joy-filled. It, it keeps us from, from living a life, pursuing God's purposes for us, the way that he's made us and, and the way that he wants us to live. And it has to do with what I'm calling the other F word, fairness. I want you to know today that fairness is not a biblical concept. This is probably on your outline. If it's not, you can write that in. Uh, but fairness itself is not a biblical concept, right? But rightness is. God does not do what is fair. He always does what is right. And it might not necessarily line up with what you or I would call fair. It's interesting, when I read this parable, the landowner agrees to pay them whatever is right. <laughs> he doesn't say, come to work for me, I need you to go out and, and do some stuff, and I will pay you whatever is fair. It's not what he says. In fact, I went back and I looked at five, actually six different translations of this passage. Uh, I looked at the King James, I looked at the ESV, the NIV, I looked at the Amplified, the NLT, which I'm reading out of this morning, and, and the Holman Christian Standard. And that word is the same in every translation. He will pay you what is right, not what is fair. Listen, if God was fair to us, he would crush us. I mean, if he gave us what we deserve, it would not be good, right? The Bible is clear that we are all broken, fallen sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. And, and we really don't want fairness. We think we do, but if God were to give us what would, was fair, he'd give us hell and judgment and death But that's not what he does. He gives us his grace. And we don't, we don't deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to persuade God to, to save us from an eternity apart from him. If you're new to Cedar Creek, if you're, if you're new to church, let me just tell you, we believe that this book is true. And we believe that everybody will spend eternity somewhere, one of two places, with God or apart from God. The Bible calls those heaven and hell and there's no in between. And, and, and what determines where we spend eternity is this issue of who Jesus is, what he has done, and why that gives us hope and joy. Have we received his free gift of salvation? We can't earn it. It's his grace. As Lecrae, the Christian hip-hop artist, says, if heaven ain't a gift, I ain't getting in. <laughs> Man, that rings in my heart. It's a gift. It's God's grace. And so I want to tell you this morning that God doesn't owe you anything. Like this landowner and these vineyard workers, God doesn't owe you anything. I, I know that's a hard truth this morning, 
but I, I just felt compelled this week, all week. I was like, Lord, is there another way that I can say this? And is there another way that I could communicate? And the heart of what I, I feel like we need to communicate this morning is that, that God doesn't owe us anything. What is it about our hearts? What is it about our nature that, that like these workers in the vineyard, we think we're owed something? I don't know if it's cultural. I've really been studying on this in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if it's, it's kind of nurture or nature, right? Is it something that's hardwired into our hearts, into our sin nature? Is it something that we just kind of learn as we go along in life? I don't know, but it, it, it's so ingrained in our flesh that it's frightening. I'll just share a quick story with you. Yesterday, the West Campus had our summer serve day. Uh, those of you at Banks Mill, yours is gonna be this coming Saturday, and if you haven't signed up for it yet, let me just encourage you, uh, get signed up. It's gonna be a great time. It's, Kids Creek is kind of fronting it and, and putting it together, but it's not just a Kids Creek gathering. We had all kind of folks out there from Center Point, middle school, high school. We had adults out there. It was, it was a great time, and yours is coming up. Ridge, uh, you've got some summer, ser- summer serve days coming as well. I think you're doing multiple days. Check with KT, check with uh, your folks, your home group leaders there. They'll tell you all about it. So we're doing our summer serve project with one of our local partners yesterday. And, uh, and it was hot. Those of you that were outside yesterday, it was, it was hot. We were doing yard work and kind of building a garden and doing some stuff. And, and right in the middle of the day, uh, as is always prone to happen when we're outside, my wife, uh, Miss Kelly, who's our Kids Creek director at the West Campus, she breaks out the popsicles. <laughs> it's a good time when the popsicles come out, right? Uh, and, and everybody's getting a popsicle because it's hot and we're enjoying a really nice popsicle. And the kids, especially, they're like, popsicle, I'm down, I'll take, I'll take one. And, and they're cutting the tops off of these little things and they're having their popsicles. And the kids are gathering up on the steps of the house where we were working. And I went up there to get a bottle of water out of the cooler and I heard one little one say, I should get two popsicles because I've done more than you. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Thank you, Jesus. Look at this. This parable comes to life right in front of me, Right? It happens every single day, and it happens yesterday. I couldn't believe it. It's so deep inside of us that even the little ones understand or, or think that there is, there's this issue of fairness, that there's something that we're owed. And I just gotta tell you, that the danger with this attitude is this. It, it can spill over into our spiritual life. If we're not careful, it's not just gonna hurt our relationships, um, but it's also um, gonna spill over into our spiritual life. And we can get to the point where we believe that God owes us something. And I'll just be honest with you, I've been, I've been in that place in my life and I still at times struggle with that. And it's not a good place to be. It is a, a normal human place to be. So if you're struggling with that, let me just encourage you this morning, don't, don't stay there. Hear me, fairness is not a biblical concept. We can get to that place where we think that God owes us something, or maybe because we've been followers of his for a long time, right? We showed up early in the morning. We've been doing all this stuff, and so, so surely by now I've achieved admiral status, right? Club status, diamond status, whatever it is. Shouldn't I get my, my card with the extra you know, 10% off or whatever because I've been following Jesus for so long? This is really important for us as a church, Cedar Creek. I just have to tell you, because as a church who is reaching out to the lost, to the hurting, to the broken, to the people that are unchurched, de-churched, that don't have a church background, they don't, they don't have a faith yet, they don't understand uh, that they even need God, it's not even relevant in their lives. As a church that is focused on that, we are going to do things at times that are a little different. Things that are gonna cause you to get uncomfortable, things that may not be your preference. 
I heard a pastor say years ago, and this has been sort of a truth for us, that to reach people nobody else is reaching, we've got to do things and try things that nobody else is doing. And so what happens is in our own spiritual hearts, when we feel like, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and we deserve something or maybe God owes us something, and all of a sudden, things around us start to change. Maybe the style of music is a little different from what we like that we had for a number of years. Maybe, maybe we're seeing some folks that don't look like us and we're a little uncomfortable or maybe they don't dress like us. Maybe we have expectations of what a, what a Christian looks like and acts like and talks like. And that's just built on our own expectations. When our preferences have started to go away, we start to feel like it's about us. And I'm just gonna tell you, if you're a part of Cedar Creek Church, it's not about you. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't know who he is, it's all about you. Everything that we do, Cedar Creek Church exists for the next unchurched person that we can connect with. But once you become a follower of Jesus, once you are a part of this family, it's no longer about you. It's about those others that haven't heard yet, right? Because we live surrounded by a bunch of people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if they die without a relationship with Jesus, they're gonna spend eternity apart from God. They're gonna spend eternity in hell. And we're just not comfortable with that. We think that hell should be less crowded. Amen? Listen, one of the reasons why you won't find anybody's mama's name or daddy's name or your grandmama's name or granddad's name or on any seat or pew or chair or window or building at Cedar Creek Church is because this place is not about us. We're gonna be dead and gone one day. This place is about Jesus. And these are his chairs, no matter where you are. These are his buildings, these are his facilities. And we're gonna use them for his glory to reach those other people that don't know him yet. Listen, if we're not careful, we can end up thinking that we know better than God. <laughs> when he doesn't give us what we want or think we need, when things aren't going the way we want, we begin to feel like God is holding out on us, right? All of a sudden, God is, is keeping something from us. This is when the enemy creeps in and, and starts to cause doubt, right? This happened with our original parents, Adam and Eve, where, where the enemy comes and says, did God really say that? Did, did, did he really say that? Did God really say that that was bad for you? Did God really say that you shouldn't live that way? Did God really say, fill in the blank? And all of a sudden, we start to doubt God. Or, or, or maybe we think, if God really loved me, if God was really for me, he would give me blank. He would bring me that spouse. He would bring me that job. He would bring me more money. He would bring me more whatever, right? Whatever that thing is in your life. Can I just tell you that this issue of fairness is born out of an issue of pride? This issue of fairness that we all struggle with really comes out of a heart that is prideful. Fairness grows out of that. We, we think that we know better than God. That, that was what the problem was with Adam and Eve. They, they wanted to be God. And so they went against God's best for their life because they felt like God owed them something. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 2, Verses eight and nine, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. If you're taking notes this morning, circle the words grace and gift. 
If you're in the app, you can type out the words grace and gift. God has already given you more than you could ever need and done more for you than you deserve. He doesn't owe you or me or any single one of us anything. It's God's grace. It's a gift. And and, and Paul says it's not a reward for anything that we've done. He doesn't owe us anything. And number two, you owe God everything. You owe God everything. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't wake up, you wouldn't have woken up this morning. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't be able to draw a breath. You wouldn't have what you have. You wouldn't be able to even move and act and think if it wasn't for God's grace. You owe him everything. James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Paul would write elsewhere to the Romans that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? This is this idea of how we should live, give everything to God and live in such a way and that that somehow, some supernatural way was our true and proper worship, to live our lives focused on God, giving him everything. We owe him everything. You know, it's interesting about this parable. Before we get here in chapter 20, You can go back this week and and read chapter 19. Jesus' closest followers had a very similar experience. There's a very similar conversation uh, that that goes on. And so what happens in in chapter 19 is uh, people are bringing children to Jesus. They're bringing the little kids and asking him to bless them. And the disciples get kind of bent out of shape and they're like, hey, these kids, get these kids away from here. It's like, get out of my yard, you kids, right? What are you doing here? And, and, And Jesus says, no, no, let them come. Let the kids come to me because the kingdom of heaven is like this. And and the the point is that he's saying, look, the kingdom of heaven is for people who come with childlike faith. And then right after that, this young guy comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, what do I need to do to follow you? And he's a rich guy. and, And Jesus says, hey, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy walks away sad, hangs his head, because he just couldn't part with his stuff. Jesus tells his disciples, it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's harder uh, to do that than for a camel to to go through the eye of a needle. And there's a clear contrast going on here. So he says, the kingdom of heaven, there's this childlike faith, right? It's easier for those who have a childlike faith to enter the kingdom than it is for people who have a whole bunch of stuff, but that are reluctant to part with it. They're farther away. And then Peter says this, I love Peter. He says, that's not fair. That's actually not not what he said. Uh, That's the Wes Holbrook paraphrase. But he says this, he says, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. So he hears Jesus say to this guy, give it all away. And so Peter says, hey, we've left everything. What will there then be for us, right? How does that affect me, Wes Holbrook? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
And then he says this, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Very Jewish thing to do. He starts with that and then he goes through this parable of the vineyard workers and then he ends with that same thought. So, so Peter says, Lord, we've given up everything just as you challenged this young man to do. What do we get? And Jesus says, trust me, anything you've given up, you're gonna be rewarded with eternal life and you're gonna get a hundredfold in eternity. And then he tells this parable of the vineyard workers. And just like the vineyard owner, God is good. <laughs> and he always does what's right. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he, and because he doesn't change, he is faithful. And I wrote this in my notes, I think it's on your outline. Life is not fair, but God is always faithful. Life is not fair, but God is always faithful. Faithful to do what? Faithful to forgive, faithful to be merciful, faithful to give us what we need. First John 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's what we need. What we need is salvation. And God did that for us by sending Jesus. God the Father sent God the Son to this earth on a rescue mission to make a way for us that we couldn't make for ourselves, to, to live a sinless life. Though he was tempted in every way, the Bible says Jesus was without sin. And because of that, he was the perfect sacrifice. And he died a death on a cross in our place so that we could be made right with God. The Bible says he died and he was buried. And three days later, just as he said he was gonna do, he was raised to life again. That, folks, is the gospel. That is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And if you have not trusted in that, the person and work of Jesus, I wanna invite you this morning. We're getting ready to close. I'm gonna pray in a minute. I want you to think deeply about what we've talked about this morning. Prayerfully consider what a relationship with Jesus looks like in your life. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for a, a, a new time, a new season, a recommitment, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you've been distracted by things. Maybe you've started to feel like God owes you something or, or you've been doing this for so long that you've got it down and you don't have to do any more. There's a routine and you check the box and you do all the stuff that you need to do. But that's not what it's about. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that you are a good God and a loving God. And by your grace, through our faith in Jesus, we can call you our God. And Jesus, I thank you that you stepped out of heaven, that you came to this earth on a rescue mission, that you made a way for us that we couldn't make for ourselves, and that you are reigning and ruling today at the right hand of the Father, and one day you're coming back. And we don't know when that is, but until that day or until you call us to be with you, God, I pray that we would be a people that understand that you don't owe us anything and we owe you everything. And because of that, we will live our lives in such a way that the world will see a difference, that the world will see how great you are, that it will change the way we speak, change the way we think, change the way we live, and that will draw more people. You've told us that when we lift high the name of Jesus, that you will draw all men and all women unto yourself. 
and save them from an eternity apart from you. And we pray in this place, wherever we're gathered online in physical locations, we pray this morning for that thing, Lord, that you would do what only you could do, save people from an eternity apart from you. If that's you this morning, if, if that's for you, a first step of faith is just trusting in Jesus. If you've never done that, I just want to encourage you in the, in the privacy of your own heart this morning, just ask him to be the Lord of your life. Just trust in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says that he's faithful to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when you do that, you become a new creation. No matter who you are, no matter where you are this morning, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith, to trust Jesus. Whether you've been following him for years or whether you're just now coming to faith in him, take a step of faith. Grow to become more like him. That's God's desire for each of us. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name.